If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. Welcome to the Autism Dad Podcast. I'm Rob Gorski, and today we are going to talk about IEPs. If you don't know what that is, I'll tell you in a second, but uh, A, you can count yourself lucky because you've never had to deal with it. Maybe you never will. Or B, uh, you just haven't gotten there yet. But what an IEP is, is an individualized education plan. It's very, very common in the autism special needs communities. It's basically a contract between the family and the school district on how the child needs to be educated. So it covers things like accommodations and services and supports and accessibility things, whatever. Basically levels the playing field so that the special needs child has the same access to education as their peers, right? It's a, it's a positive thing in the end. It's a necessary thing, but it's a challenge to say the least. I don't know anyone who's like, yeah, I'm going to go to an IEP meeting today. I'm like so pumped. Like nobody does that. They are oftentimes uh, very contentious and very stressful and emotions can run high because the school, you know, their, their primary focus is uh, financial in a lot of, a lot of cases. As a parent, your, you know, primary focus is your child's education. And oftentimes there's a lot of clash there, right? Because we kind of have different priorities. It's not impossible. And at the end of the day, it's important that we find a way to work together because we all want our kids to succeed and working together as a team is the best way to kind of make that happen. So what I want to do today is have a conversation about how the IEP process sort of happens. And and I'm going to do it in a little different way. Rather than just talk about the logistics in kind of a clinical way or whatever, we're gonna we're gonna just share someone's personal experience who just went through the process with their son and can talk about what it was like, how they navigated it, 
and provide some tips and advice on how to keep your cool and you know know what your rights are and educate yourself before you go in there. My guest today is Dennis Procopio, and he just went through this process with his son. Welcome, Dennis. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show. How's Bennett? Thanks, Rob. So in our last episode of My Kid, um, he had a big freaking knot on his head and uh, looked like he had just shared the octagon with uh, Nate Diaz. Um, And this uh, week, his gourd is all healed up. He doesn't have the knot on his head. The stitches are out. The um, butterfly um, uh, band-aid is off. And he's back to his old shenanigans. Very cool. Very cool. I've been wondering about how he was doing. So I'm glad to hear that that all um, worked out. Uh, did you, and, I'm, and I know you have a story, and I'm anxious to hear it. Uh, you're talking about advocating for your son. And most common way that parents have to do that is usually with the school system, with things like IEP meetings. And it's like a four-letter word for most parents. They hate IEP meetings. Do you have a story that you want to share? Yeah, I do. So um, it starts off with my kid was in a school that he was doing well in. He was adjusted. This is his elementary school. And then the pandemic happened. And so he ended up, like everybody's kids, out of the classroom. And special needs kids got kind of screwed, man, because you can't just put a special needs uh, kid, particularly my son, who's moderate to severe. Mom is working. She's on a computer. I'm working. I'm on a computer. I'm in meetings, and I cannot, I cannot do what I'm doing. And monitor him. Uh, And he is not adapting to that environment. So as not to turn this into the pandemic special, um, I'll just fast forward and say we got through that crap. And finally, he was able to get into his old school again for a couple of days. And then the school year was over. So being a child with autism who likes routines, He wasn't especially happy to discover, hey, guess what? Now you're going to be going from the elementary school to the middle school and learning a whole new cast of characters. I've talked about this before a million times. The the, the pandemic really opened my eyes to some of the struggles that my kids were, were facing. And I guess I didn't really recognize it. And so like, like we talked about before, the routine is huge, right? Like they like their routine. They like their status quo. They like predictability and stability, all that stuff. When the pandemic hit, my kids uh, were, they, they closed the school. Then they kind of reopened in some kind of bastardized hybrid version that was horrible and didn't work very well. And then it became some kids could go back and then they shut the whole thing down again. And it kept going back and forth and back and forth. And so they lost their home routine then they lost their school routine and then you had to create this whole new routine that involved school at home, which was a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And yeah. And special needs, special needs parents know what a nightmare that was. And parents of uh, kids who are, you know, average kids, have their own sob stories, but they don't really get what those of us, especially with mod severe kids, 
went through. Yeah. And so I guess how, how, so he's back at school now, but he's in the middle school. So yeah. It's kind so, of a new school. Yeah. So what happened? So what happened is he comes into this new school. First of all, he was in this cute little school by the beach. And I mean, it was absolutely idyllic. And now he's same, same town, same, he's near the beach, but it's a little bit further inland and it's a different vibe. And, you know, he might not be especially verbal, but he's vibey. Mm -hmm. And so there's this different school that's bigger and it's heavier and it's darker brick or whatever. And it's got a different bell sound and the kids that go to the school are middle school kids. And I'd like to remind you that my son is not only um, moderate to severe autism, but also has a dwarfism diagnosis. So he's little for 11. So he's easily mistaken for sort of like a toddler. And in fact, he's 11, he's in fifth grade. And so you've got these giant kids all running around. And of course that's triggering. His teacher, who we met uh, with his mom and I um, in, uh, in a Zoom session ahead of the year, uh, with no explanation, it was all hush-hush secrecy, apparently she got COVID, and we weren't told, so we just showed up on the first day to discover there was some other teacher who was this v- very significantly older male who had been there forever. And we were assured we were so lucky that he was here because he had been here forever. And I thought, okay, well, that's not what we were expecting. So he had a teacher that was not, that was ultimately not supposed to be his classroom teacher. There was just chaos and disorganization. I can't fault the school. They did the best they could. But it didn't walk the child into a situation where he felt Everything was under control. He he sensed that things weren't totally buttoned down. It made him nervous. And he acted in a way that a lot of our kids act when they sense that something's off. You pick up on it, man. Mm -hmm. So what I started hearing in the beginning of the school year is Bennett is demonstrating emotional dysregulation in class. And immediately I thought, well, that's not something I want to hear as a parent. The original teacher did come back, the woman who would eventually ultimately teach the class. And she came in just recovering from COVID, trying to manage, get to know these kids and manage a class of special needs children. My son uh, does have an IEP which is, you know, as we all know, is an individualized education plan. And in that plan, he is supposed to have a one-on-one aide in the class to work with him. We started noticing as we were communicating with the school that they weren't really talking to us about solutions for integrating him they instead were using language that suggested kind of like he's being bad you know what i mean Mm, yeah how did that go over (laughs) so here's how it went (laughs) it went over my my immediate response was to say hey okay we got off to a rough start 
we didn't have the teacher we were supposed to have. My kid is supposed to have a uh, uh, somebody with him at all times as his one-on-one. If I pop in on your school or mom pops in on your school at any given time, we're not seeing that there is a one-on-one aide working with my kid. He's getting triggered. There's no one really understanding what his triggers are, which should be following over from last year's IEP. There feels like there's an absence of order here. It feels like you're trying to figure out your school year. And it feels like you're doing it at my kid's expense. And the problem is that when you finally have your stuff figured out, he's at this point demonstrated a pattern of emotional dysregulatory behavior that is going to be really hard to dial in. And I'm getting messages basically saying your son is throwing crayons. Your son is self-harming by biting himself. Your son is hitting other students. Your son is doing behavior that's unacceptable. And as a protective parent, I'm starting to feel a little bit frustrated by this not too thinly veiled suggestion that my son is creating problems for the teacher in this special needs environment. And I'm feeling very Papa Bear. Do you feel like one of the things that I had an issue with uh, with both of my kids, well, all three of my kids actually, in the public school system where I'm at, is they they claimed to be able to they claimed to be a special education environment, like they 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 were they were uh, geared for that type of thing, and then it, it it wasn't right. So they they weren't necessarily qualified to take on an autistic kid. And do you feel like that's sort of the situation where you're at or, or is it just, um, my experience to answer your question is that I felt that while we were dealing with a teacher who may technically have gotten a degree from some school, saying, hey, you got some A's, B's, and C's, and therefore qualify to, quote, teach a special ed class, I did not feel that my kid was in an environment in which his special needs were being understood. And this leads to sort of the story. So the story goes like this. I set up an IEP meeting. Basically, we got to the point that I said, hey, I'm getting a lot of messages that are telling me that my son is acting a certain way. My son is acting this way not because he's, quote, a bad kid, but rather he is having an extreme emotional reaction to something in the environment, and I believe that he needs adults and specifically educators and more specifically educators familiar with moderate to severe autism to basically observe him identify his triggers redirect him and offer him some sort of assurance that everything's going to be okay because this behavior demonstrates that he's terrified i know my son Mm -hmm. we were getting a lot of eyebrows in the hairline (laughs) and i said all right you know what Let's go ahead and set up an IEP meeting. 
And let's do that stat. So now I, for a living, am a coach. As you know, I am a life coach for men. So my job on a daily basis is to coach guys. And one of the things we work on is how not to be hyper-reactive knuckle draggers. (laughs) (laughs) So my job in this conversation was to set up this meeting, to walk through it, to state my concerns, and to advocate for my child in a way that was friendly and diplomatic and appropriate, but still did not find us being sort of bullied by the school district, which has its agendas, and its agendas are often associated with saving money. That's a real thing. And I guess I, I want to just say too, when I when I asked that question earlier, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily condemnation of the school itself. It was more: is this like a mainstream environment, or is this a special ed type environment? Because when they're coming to you saying that that predictable behaviors. Uh, are happening and it's a problem, then then it tells me that they don't really understand what's happening. And that's that's why I was asking that question because I ran into a lot of that with my kids. And the teachers were supposed to know what was going on. And, and I found, like you mentioned in the last episode, that you have to educate the educators. Uh, and I have had to do a lot of that. You know, my kids are in a school right now that's worked out really well. And it's specifically for kids with autism, ADHD, and other learning disabilities. But they do things that I just, I'm like, who, like, you're literally catering to a demographic of kids who are on the autism spectrum. How, how is this a good idea? (laughs) Like, I I just, you just have to kind of wonder what they're thinking. But, you know, we've been very happy and very lucky, I think, to to have what we have. So I'm not uh, Uh complaining. But I just, I just wondered, because I'm familiar with those types of uh, situations personally. So that's what, that's what I was going at. You nailed it, right? So our experience has been that in the public schools, and, you know, just the truth of the matter is my my kid's in public school. Um, And we got him into the best district that we could. We understand every school that he'll be going to from point A to point whatever. And... uh, we decided this is a good path. That having been said, it is public school. And so we rely heavily on the IEP to come with us from school to school so that the new people can benefit from the empirical work that the we've done with his previous support team. So you're not reinventing the wheel every time he switches. Yeah. We go into the IEP meeting and... This is the first time that we're having non-casual interactions with his, quote, support team. So the teacher is there. The OT is there. uh, A PT is there. The principal is there. A speech pathologist is there. The general education teacher, you know, is there. And there was a notable absence of a school psychologist and or someone who very specifically is a specialist in this area. Now, in um, previous IEP meetings, we've brought in our own ABA workers. So my kid, in addition to going to a regular school, 
also goes to an after-school program where he works with um, ABA therapists, which for anybody who doesn't know, um, ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. And these are people who really understand his diagnosis and who really are fantastic at closing the gap. Yeah. So you have the IP meeting. How does it go, I guess? So how it goes is I have a secret weapon that they don't know about, which is that that quiet lady sitting in the little square right next to me in the Zoom meeting, Bennett's mom, is um, an education attorney who regularly sits in on IEPs for foster children and children with special needs, and they're not mutually exclusive. And so she knows the law, and she knows what the provisions are that are available to him. And so in the beginning, I say, hey, my kid fell off a stool. And in hindsight, I think it's appropriate to put it into language that his stool should not be a shaky stool. The stool that you are using is a portable stool. And in exchange for portability, it's a little janky. So we put in language that Bygones are bygones, but it was a little blamey. We were saying the kid fell off the stool because it was an inappropriate setup. And considering there's a team here, including an OT and a PT, really, what the heck? So we put in language as well as a very specific process for how he can use the toilet without cracking his head on the floor again. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was good. The second thing that we addressed, this is where I really feel for the parent that doesn't have secret weapon, a, a secret weapon, a lawyer sitting, sitting there with them. I said, I think that his behaviors are really escalated because there's some trigger that I would expect the one on one to identify and redirect him before he hits panic mode. And I think the best way for us to identify what those triggers are is to do some sort of a behavioral assessment. Now, his mom and I had spoken ahead of time and said that we were going to request what's called an FBA, which is, the F stands for something, and I don't remember, but I'm just going to call it a formal behavior assessment, but that's not actually the functional. The F stands for something else. Functional behavior assessment, yeah. And um, good job. I'm feeling really proud of myself right now. <laughs> good job, Rob Gursky. Yeah, so that was it. And so we didn't talk about that. So we just said, hey, we're thinking he might need a behavioral assessment. And the principal chimed in and said, oh, yes, well, they're super busy right now. And getting one of those is really, you know, really challenging. So what we're thinking we're going to do, we have we have done a BSR or whatever, and they're just throwing these acronyms around and saying, we're, we're keeping an eye on him and we have brought in specialists and we're, we're, we're recording the behavior. And so it became a bit of a chess match because if it hadn't been for my partner, I wouldn't have known that what they're doing is they're trying to steer us away from that because that costs money. So without being like a jerk, which is where the man of life coaching part comes in, I had to somehow figure out how to get what we needed here without it becoming contentious. 
So I say to the to the teacher, so you're saying that my son is already involved in some sort of behavior assessment that you've preemptively prescribed? Yeah, yeah, he is. Oh, okay, good. Oh, so we don't need to do the thing that you were saying to, to my partner. And she says, well, no, see, the thing I was talking about was an FBA, and it's a lot more focused. It gets into the granular minutiae, and it's exactly what he would need before making a determination about pivoting if it proves that if he demonstrates that his behavior can't be uh, regulated, then I guess we would need to be in a conversation about some other solution, like maybe some sort of private alternative. Now, they don't want to hear about private school because that's <laughs> going to cost them money. Because they got to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so the teacher who we determined after the fact was probably receiving secret little messages from the principal and being fed lines, starts saying things that are just not language that she would typically use. It was a little too formal. So she starts saying things like, well, actually, let's just try to work with him for now and try to make some of the least restrictive choices we can. And that's where I said, well, wait a minute. I'm getting messages every day telling me I've got a bad kid who's hitting other kids and it's causing potential harm to the other students. So are we saying that we're okay to just sort of let that go? I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want my kid hurting other students. And also, I don't understand how we can't run this assessment concurrently with whatever your least res restrictive efforts are. And she says, well, again, she reiterates, well, I just want to try the least restrictive things we can do. I said, so can you explain to me, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, I'm just sort of slow slow to understand your, your procedure here. Um, can you explain to me what's restrictive about an assessment? Because my understanding is it's just an observation. And it was at that point that the principal said, you know what, let's go ahead and move forward with the, with the FBA. And I watched my partner sort of crack up laughing. And somewhere in, in between when they had, had said, well, the problem with an FBA is, she said, well, no, actually, you have 15 days from the time that you ask for it, and then 60 days after that, and when they heard these exact figures and this authority with which she was saying that, they understood, oh, crap, this isn't our average couple. The reason this is a fun story for the audience is because we ended up landing the plane in such a way that we established what needed to happen for our kid. Mm -hmm. We got the school to sign off on it. And for a cherry on top, I sort of did my Dennis of Man of Life coaching thing. And I said, hey, everyone, I just want to say I really appreciate how hard everyone is working to integrate Bennett. And I know that we're going to be together for years to come. And I really do believe that it takes a village to raise a child. So I just want to say thank you. It's a blessing to be in this district, and it's a blessing to be working with you. And they all put little heart emojis in their little Zoom screens. <laughs> and we actually got out of there without any, you know, without any hate energy. So it was... So it's a positive outcome. Dude, it was a positive outcome. Have they done the analysis yet, or is this just, this is just recent? We literally just, just had this IEP meeting. Oh. But as a result, as a result, we have received a copy of the IEP saying that everything that we asked for was in fact stipulated to by the school. 
we are in communication with the school. And we feel that since we represented ourselves as advocates who care first about our child, but secondly, we're not here to make people feel bad about themselves. But we are saying if you're going to step up and educate kids with special needs, when you're kind of just making stuff up, we're the parents who are going to call you out. I bet they didn't see that coming. They didn't see it coming. How does this have anything to do with life coaching? Because Rob Gorski, you're a dad. You know what it is to advocate for your kids. Mm -hmm. And you know what it is to be sitting in a meeting with people whose number one job is to sort of protect their castle. And while they're claiming to be advocating for your child and to have your child's best interest at heart, the reality is they're afraid of litigation and they're just covering their butt. Been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Been there many times. And one of the reasons why I really enjoy sharing these stories with all of you guys listening is because there is this taboo kind of whatever when it comes to things like IEP meetings where, uh-huh. where parents are intimidated, they they get kind of run over, they get walked on, or they are too aggressive, or they are belligerent, or uh, they make it hard for the school to work with them. And your approach is measured, and it's reasonable. And, you know, you've mentioned kindness a bunch of times. And I think that it helps to establish who you are, that they can't really push you around, but that you are there to be a team player. Like you're here, like we're here for the best interest of our child. We understand, you know, we're not unreasonable. We want to work together. We recognize you guys have a very difficult job. We want to help make it easier. And, you know, the idea, like you said, it takes a village. We, we got to work together to help educate our kids. And I think that sort of shifts the dynamic of IEP meetings for the rest of his life. <laughs> I mean, like that reputation is going to follow you. And that, that's not a bad thing. You know, you've got the ball rolling in a positive direction and it was a positive outcome. And that doesn't always happen. That's right. And, you know, I have a joke. I mean, you know, I'm Dennis, the man coach, and she's an education attorney. And I joke and my nickname for us as a couple is Law and Order. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> you know, and there's the title of your episode. Law um, and uh, Law and Order. But so the reason we worked well together as parents in that situation is because she came in with accurate information. There's a, uh, there's a sort of a self-help idea that before you say anything, you should run it through a filter. Is it necessary? Is it true? And is it kind? So I made really sure coming into this that if anything, anything I said was necessary, It was necessary if it meant that by not saying it, my child was going to have a less than optimal education. Is it true? Bro, I fact-checked hard, and I double fact-checked with her, and I said, I don't want to say something that's inaccurate. Please don't let me, you know, stand there self-righteously saying something that's incorrect. Mm -hmm. And is it kind? That was the hard part, because all of us, when we're advocating for our children, take the best defense is a good offense um, approach. And I think if if there's any dad that's listening to this and thinking, all right, so it's, what am I supposed to get out of this? I'd say what you get out of it is do your homework, figure out what your kid is entitled to. Do that homework before you go into the meeting. Don't engage anyone at an emotional level because we're supposed to be modeling appropriate behavior for our children. So you know, be a be a rational, reasonable adult, and ultimately, 
remember to validate the team who's working with you because it you really do get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. At the end of the thing, when I was done, I sent a follow-up email and I, 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 I said, hi team, I just wanted to personally say thanks again for your time today and uh, my son's IEP meeting and for the quality of care that you're clearly investing into our son Bennett. He means everything to us and we feel extremely blessed to have been choiced into this particular district with praying hands. And I got this cascade of responses, including the cherry on top from the principal who said, Dennis, thank you for the wonderful email. You did a wonderful job today during the meeting communicating your desire to be both a supportive team player as well as an advocate for your son. We enjoy working with your family. So I kind of feel like that sets the playing field for every interaction we have moving forward. And if there's not some sort of lesson in that, then I don't know where where there is. Uh, That's a very important lesson. IEPs are something that we, as special needs families, tend to struggle with. A, know your rights, know your child's rights, don't mm-hmm. go in half cocked. Use like you said, don't engage on an emotional level. Just be assertive and and be a good representative, a good advocate for your child. You know, I, I, it's you're not dealing with malicious people usually. You're dealing with people who they have an agenda. I mean, yours isn't the only child that they have to educate, but you know, you have to know that you are going to get more when you are cooperative and you're willing to work together. And, and you handle them in an appropriate way. And so I, I think you did a fantastic job. The outcome is very positive and I'm anxious to hear, uh, how the testing goes and if they're able to find, uh, some of those triggers in the meantime, there's a lot of lessons to glean from this. And I really appreciate you sharing that and your thought process too, because I think that helps guys specifically because we can, you know, get aggressive when it comes to our kids and and protecting our families and stuff like that. And it's sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it's better to just, you know, find a, find a path forward that takes you away from that and into more positive uh, outcome. You know, as a closing thought, um, you know, so I'm 50, I, I, uh, I was raised on the East coast. And so in my twenties, you know, uh, I was in college in Manhattan in the nineties and public enemy of hip hop infamy mm-hmm. was popular at the time and flavor flav with the gold teeth and the clock around his neck on the white the white glasses mm-hmm. and the red cap i remember him famously saying i got a right to be hostile my people being persecuted and i always thought about it he does have a right to be hostile but he doesn't have an obligation and the thing i always loved about martin luther king jr is that he similarly had a right to be hostile but he recognized that he didn't have an obligation and it was in his choice to choose grace as an expression of his dignity. That's what defined him as a mm-hmm. man. And as a, as a father advocating for my son, I do the best I can to understand where the line is between asserting myself and being aggressive. And so I think if there's something to come away with here, it's when advocating for your special needs son, as a dad, come in informed, be nice because you get more flies with honey than with vinegar and understand where the line is between being assertive and being aggressive. Yeah, I totally agree. Excellent advice. Amen. Appreciate it. If anybody out there, um, dads specifically, guys, whatever, would like to connect with Dennis offline, uh, how can they do that? Uh, Well, I have a business. It's called Man Up 
life coaching and uh they can visit me at my website manuplifecoaching.com that's the best way to do it i'll have all that in the show notes as usual and they can just click the link and uh check you out and maybe learn some of these skills to help them navigate these challenging <laughs> challenging times that we we live in with, as parents and and uh all of these unique challenges with our especially these kids and we can do it in a better way so thank you very much And uh, I hope the rest of your week is as good as it was today. Thanks, Rob. Talk to you soon. And if we don't see each other before Thanksgiving, have a happy holiday, brother. Yeah, you too. My best to your family. Will do. Thank you, man. Okay, brother. Take care. Thanks, dude. Bye. All right, ciao. Real quick before I let you go, I just want to say thank you to Dennis for coming on the show again and talking about his journey with uh, the IEP process. I know it's not fun for most of us. I really appreciate the insights. And even some of the tips, you know, based on your life coaching experience, it's, it's a positive thing. You know, we go into these meetings and we can, we can, they can be very emotional and it's important that we keep our composure and that we navigate it in such a way that we're building bridges rather than tearing them down. You know, our kids, our kids rely on us to handle these situations and it's not easy, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's good to see how other people have managed to do it so that we can sort of model that. We, know, we don't all have an attorney that can be with us or intimate knowledge of, of every legal aspect of the IEP process. But if we take the time to educate ourselves, if we remain calm and we stay centered and we remain focused on our kids' best interest, and we don't look at the school as the enemy because they're not necessarily the enemy. You know, they're, they're, they're doing their best in a lot of cases and it's just a, a fiscal issue. You know, this money is, is tight and staffing is short, especially now. So let's just work together to try and uh, get our kids the best education we possibly can in the brightest future uh, because they deserve that. So thank you, Dennis. Uh, you guys can find Dennis again at manuplifecoaching.com. Link in the show notes below. As always, you can find me at theautismdad.com. All my socials are at the top of the page. Uh, you guys can listen to this podcast on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. Just hit that subscribe button. I appreciate that. If you rate it too, that would be really helpful. I, I do appreciate that. The feedback is is a good thing for me. Outside of that, I hope you guys stay safe and healthy and uh, I'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks. See you, bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strength and connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code theautismdata at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.